You're listening to The Upland Rookie, a podcast presented by Onyx Hunt, Final Rise, and Anookshook Professional Dog Food. And welcome to episode 84 with Todd Agnew from Spaniel Journal. And this podcast is also presented to you by OnX Hunt, the most comprehensive public and private land ownership data mapping tool in the world. Many tools and layers like crop types, tree species, waypoints, and so much more. Uh, the Onyx Elite membership is going to give you a ton of access to um, a whole bunch of benefits, uh, discounts on awesome gear. Um, if you're not using Onyx Hunt already, I highly encourage you get over to onyxhunt.com and sign up today. And be sure to check out Anookshook Professional Dog Food, the only sporting dog, high-performance dog food I'm feeding my string of dogs. have been using this for several years, and Anookshook has delivered and lived up to and surpassed all the hype you've been hearing about online, through friends, kennels, breeders, all that. And it has just been a high-quality premium food. Uh, I've been able to cut back several cups of food for my dogs, still keeping weight on them, during season, during trialing, whatever it might be, these dogs are in best shape they've been in personally in a long, long time. And thanks to Anookshook Professional Dog Food, they have four incredible formulas. Check them out at anookshookpro.com. And last but not least, Final Rise Gear. I am so pumped and proud to be representing the Final Rise brand. They have been producing year after year quality premium upland gear that has made for the hunter, the bird hunter who is putting on miles after miles, season after season, and wants gear to hold up to the elements of how you are hunting. You gotta look no further than finalrise.com. Check out the Summit Vest, the Summit XT Vest, which is brand new, the Sidekick Vest, as well as the Legacy. So many vest options, which are totally customizable. Um, I'm pretty darn confident you're gonna find something that works for you and your setup Uh, So check them out at finalrise.com. Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome back to the Upland Rookie Podcast. I'm your host, Will Larson. And as always, I'm so glad you guys are tuning in to today's episode. Uh, I am super pumped for this one. I recorded this one a couple weeks ago with Todd from Spaniel Journal. Um, talk to Todd a little bit uh, about the Spaniel world. Um, we dive into field trials with the Spaniels. We really, really unpack the Springer Spaniel as well as the Cocker. Um, it's a fantastic conversation. Uh, I learned a ton this one and it, it got me peaked. It got my interest peaked on uh, a Spaniel, uh, the Springer Spaniel. I'm just going to say the Cocker seems awesome. Okay. The Cocker seems awesome. Todd unknowingly may have talked me into a Springer or I should say being Springer curious. I should say that more appropriately. Um, we're definitely not adding a dog anytime soon, but, um, I don't know something about these, uh, these, these flushing, uh, spaniel dogs. I think it's a good one. Whether you run pointing dogs, um, whether you run flushers, I think you're going to enjoy this one. It's a, just a different perspective. Again, I know we talk a ton of pointing breeds on this ep- or on this show, so uh, so tune in. I think you're going to like this one, and uh, it's a really really good conversation with Todd. 
Um, other than that, guys, I'm going to keep this intro super short. Um, life has been a little bit crazy for me. Um, work, got some family stuff. Um, heading back to Chicago tomorrow. Um, my grandma has been in the hospital um, and moved to hospice, actually. Um, so I'm actually flying back there tomorrow to say goodbye to her. And um, and flying back, I got some crazy stuff going on at work. Uh, it's all good stuff. It's just life is a little crazy right now. So missed last week's episode. We're back with you today. And uh, so it's another good conversation. But um, hey, I still have the giveaway happening for Patreon. Patreon members um, over at the Patreon page uh, slash the Upland Rookie Podcast. Make sure you go get signed up over there. I'm giving away a Gunner Fan Kit 2.0 and an Upland Rookie hat to one lucky Patreon member. So make sure you're signed up. We'll be giving that uh, away here pretty soon. Uh, you know, weather's starting to warm up a little bit. I think we were like almost 70, almost 70 degrees here in Denver today. It was super nice. Um, had the dogs out running this morning, and um, it was nice. It was really, really nice. But it got me thinking about running fans again because it's getting a little warm uh gotta make sure you keep them cool so the gunner fan kit 2.0 it's going to attach especially very nicely to the gunner kennels um but you can really attach it to any kennel setup you have it's got a long battery stainless steel fan so nothing's going to rust you can be out in the elements all that good stuff so head over to patreon.com get signed up and uh, you'll be entered to win the gunner fan kit 2.0. Um, other than that, hope everyone is doing well. Hope everyone, not everyone, if you got out there to chase turkeys, um, hope everyone had a good time. Hopefully you had fun, had a safe hunt, made some memories uh, with your kids or your family or just a solo hunt uh, for yourself. So um, again, as always, be sure to tag the Upland Rookie Podcast in your post. I love resharing those. Love seeing uh, you know what my listeners are experiencing out there. Whether it's turkey season, bird season, training season, trialing, whatever it might be, love uh, love seeing you know what you guys are are doing out there, and uh, so I'll definitely definitely try to reshare some of those uh, posts on the page. Um, other than that, guys, we're gonna uh, rock and roll into the interview here uh, with Todd from Spaniel Journals. Enjoy. Uh, put us on a map. Where where are you talking to us from? And uh, would you give us uh, the listeners a little overview of of who you are? Sure. Uh, I'm in, you know, I guess, Central East Georgia in Glasgow County. Uh, we've been down here for a bunch of years now, and my wife decided to move down here, so I followed her uh, to get out of the weather, obviously in the north, like a lot of people do. Uh, but we operate out of here most of the year, but we do head north uh, late summer and through the fall for, uh, for hunting and access to the field trial circuit and so forth. Um, you know, we like a lot of people, we grew up hunting and tried to turn a hobby into a business and uh that's what we've been doing with a fair bit of success i suppose and uh specializing in the spaniels as you know uh that's what we what we love to do and uh, love to work with people and um, get fairly excited when new people get involved i think one of the problems with those of us that are in the business and have done it for a while and done various aspects in the business is we take a lot of the excitement for granted and so uh you know, a continual addition of new people kind of keeps us well grounded and reminds us of how exciting a lot of this stuff can actually be. Mm. That's a, that's a great point right there. Cause yeah, I think we can forget sometimes or, you know, even if you're not in the business maybe, but maybe you've been hunting a long, long time. I think it can be pretty easy sometimes to uh, just forget like the, the fun, the fun aspect of, of what we get to do with bird dogs and 
hunting and, you know, seeing new land and territory. I think that's, it's a, it's a cool thing we get to do. It's very cool. And, and I think in the, in the quest to be successful, uh, we tend to forget some of the reasons maybe we enjoy dogs in the first place. And, uh-huh. you know, new pe- new people have a way of getting so excited over, you know, to be honest, things that we may think are trivial on a daily basis. Um, so it, it, it's, it's, like a lot of these hobby businesses, I think things tend to come in full circle. And, you know, in the beginning, we're all questing to make a name for ourselves and be somebody that's important and all those eagle type of things. But uh, I think we all kind of circle back and, and get to, you know, the enjoyment and, and the people we work with really help with that, to be honest. Absolutely. Absolutely. Were you, uh, were you running your kennel when you, I know you mentioned you lived in Illinois for a little bit. Were you running your kennel up there as well? Or did you just start that once you moved to Georgia? No, um, we were doing it up there. I, you know, I don't know exactly when I turned pro. Uh, you know, in the Spaniel world anyway, you're a pro because you get paid. And the mm-hmm. ruling essentially is some type of compensation, whatever that definition is. So if you send me okay. a gift certificate, you know, you could argue that's compensation. But, you know, there's some interpretations to that. So sometime, I don't know, I'm going to say 03, 04, something like that maybe. Um you know, we turned pro and we were in Illinois at that point, uh, hadn't quite moved out to the farm yet, but then we moved out to the farm and then I think we moved south in maybe, you know, 2013, something like that. Okay. Okay. And, and being in the south, I think you might have kind of mentioned, but just, does it just allow you to run dogs kind of year round to some degree um, with the weather, the climate? Know, on, on our property, of course, the winter is the most advantageous. Um, hmm. In the summer, it's hot. You know, trust me, it's hot. Uh, but, <laughs> y- 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 you know, I think that a lot of people in the north say, oh, how, how can you do that? Well, we were in the north and, you know what, in the winter it's cold. And, <laughs> you know, a lot of time in a barn and, you know, being in Illinois and snow and so forth. So, you know, you just, as a trainer, you, you mix and match the weather uh, with what you can get accomplished. And in the north, maybe we're spending time inside buildings in the winter trying to do obedience here we're under the shade trees in the summer doing obedience is really the, mm. you know just the time of the year flip-flopped for us sure sure so it shifts a little bit um todd why don't you uh back us up a little bit um i talk a little bit about your journey into i guess the upland hunting and, and the bird dog world like was this uh you know did you come to this later in life was this something you grew up doing uh talk about your journey a little bit into uh the world of, of bird dogs and hunting um, you know, I, I view it as like most people, but maybe that, that's not true. I, you know, I grew up in, in Northern New England and I grew up hunting and, um, you know, and bird hunting, of course, in those days, uh, you know, I'm now an old timer. So I talk about how glorified everything was back then and there were birds everywhere and cover everywhere <laughs> and you can go anywhere you wanted and all those good <laughs> things. But, you know, the reality is I was a kid and I went, you know, wherever my dad took me. And, you know, of course we had great dogs because my dad would never have anything but a good dog. And in hindsight, they Mm. probably weren't great dogs. They were whatever dogs (laughs) were around. And and as a kid, you thought they were great. (laughs) Of course, of course. And, 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 And as a kid, if you had game in the bag, that meant the dog was great because that was, Mm. I mean, in the truest sense, that's what, that's what hunting is, right? And nobody's hunting to not 
get something, you know. Sure. Um, but but w- we hunted a lot of stuff. So, you know, grouse and woodcock, obviously. So, in those days, they, you know, released pheasants in New Hampshire. And um, then, you know, waterfowl, of course, um, down on the Cape as, as well as in, in the ponds and in the woodlands and so forth. Um, so, we, you know, I was around a lot of different dogs, uh, different types of dogs. And then, like most of life, I got older and got interested in other things and kind of forgot about what I enjoyed when I was a kid and, you know, got educated and all those types of things and went away from it. And then as I approached 30, 27, 30, something like that, um, I, I picked up a lab and, you know, just slowly started getting back into it. And I met some guys when I was duck hunting that they were using spaniels and I'd never seen a spaniel in my life or that I can recall anyway. And the, you know, they were just, they were excited. They were jumping off of cliffs and breaking ice. And, you know, I said, heck, I want one of those. And one (laughs) turned to two to three to five to quit your job and all those types of things. So um, they they sucked you in. Yeah. You know, like like I said, kind of like everybody else, I guess. (laughs) And, and so growing up, you said you, you hunted behind a lot of dogs. So you, so you never had spaniels really when you were a kid no, kind of hunting behind? Okay. No, mo- mostly uh, short hairs. Uh, well, I can remember. Anyway, short hairs, beagles, um, you know, uh, miscellaneous hounds, coyotes, that type of thing. Um, okay. Labs, chessies. Okay. So, so quite the variety recall. there. Yes. Sir. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, what, when was the turning point for you? Again, it sounds like once you kind of saw the Spaniels, kind of they kind of sucked you down this, this road here. Um, what kind of then led you down the, the side of starting your own kennel and kind of the training side of things? Like what, what, what was the turning point for you there? Um, without getting too personal, uh, you know, grew up fairly simple, basic. And um, I think when you do that, it's all about, you know, money and possessions. And, uh, when I got out of college, you know, started that, that chase and, you know, a few things went my way. And so I started to get, you know, successful economically and buying all the stuff that I thought was important. And, um, sometimes those professions, you know, it's all about the carrot in front of you. And then when you hit that carrot, whether it be a certain classification designation or something in your career or an economic level, um, you know, the carrots kind of stop. And I think that's when you start to think, you know, what matters. And for me, uh, you know, I need to survive like everybody, but I think suffice to say that, you know, making a boatload of money didn't really fulfill what I thought Mm -hmm. it was going to. So at that same time, I, you know, I met these guys that had spaniels and, you know, one thing just kind of I guess brought a passion out or forgotten passion or whatever the case may be. And, um, I remember I was working in Manhattan and I was out hunting in Iowa at the time and I had a fairly flexible schedule, you know, worked on a performance base. So if you weren't in the office, um, it didn't matter because you only got paid for what, you know, what you produce. So, um, but I was hunting in, in Iowa and caught a fair bit of flack. And even though, you know, you're not paid to be in the office, well, being from New England, we're known to be a little crass and direct. And um, <laughs> so I just I just made it simple. I just quit and I never went home. So um, that kind of <laughs> was like, <laughs> Yeah, that was that was 
kind of the, okay, I guess you better figure this out. <laughs> so uh, was it Cortez that burned all the boats, you know, when they, they oh yeah, 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 so right, they, right. Burn you know, them and they they never to, go back. Yeah. So I guess that was kind of the, the philosophy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it sounds, sounds like it worked out for you. It sounds like it was a, that was a good choice there. More time with bird dogs. Yeah, always, yeah, uh, yeah. That was a good choice in my mind. Yeah, the bank account used to be better, but clearly <laughs> bad days are bad days are a lot better these days. Right, <laughs> exactly. Um, tell me, tell me more about your kennel. Um, what's your kennel called? What do you? What kind of dogs you train in? Give us an overview of of the kennel you're running right now in Georgia. Our Craney Hill Kennel is uh, you know what what it's named. Uh, usually these days, it's just my name is. You know, everybody seems to shift to that. I think nobody really remembers okay. a kennel day with <laughs> sure. kennel name with few exceptions. But um, you know, predominantly Springers and English Cockers. Um, you know, we used to take in some different types of dogs, and uh, we ran labs for a while. You know, up, upland only, not retriever games. Okay. And uh, but we've really you know now specialized um, in high end you know spaniels, those two breeds predominantly. Every once in a while, I do take another breed in. Uh, I get bored. And I think that, you know, if you want to really be good at this, uh, a lot of times taking in, you know, a problem dog or a different breed or something like that, you know, makes you think and have to, you know, get back to trying to figure things out, which then I, I firmly believe benefits, you know, the mm. dogs that I love so much being in the Springers. Uh, so I think that, uh, you know, again, as you go through life and experience, you start to view things a little bit differently and where, you know, there was a time frame where I only wanted the best dogs. Mm. Uh, the, the truth is most people can do something with those dogs. And so that only works as long as you continue to have them. But when something doesn't go well, if you don't have a, you know, toolbox of, of, of things to use to, you know, to try to work with a problem dog, um, you know, you're at it certainly, you know, uh, in a defensive position with that. So um, as sure. you take. It kind of gives you a new challenge, right? Dog, yeah, it, it, it does. You know, I mean, I love the dogs. Don't get me wrong. And I, you know, this is all I want to do. And my, my wife can tell you she's so sick of the <laughs> only thing I talk about. The only <laughs> thing I dwell on, I, honestly, it, it is the only thing in my life. My brain has one compartment and it's only for this. <laughs> um, but, you know, that being said, on some level, it does become a job. And so sure. changing things up. Um, you know, is healthy for, for our dogs and not only me. Yeah. Are, are you primarily getting, uh, and again, I, I, I don't want to generalize, generalize this for, for all trainers and, and kennels like that, but typically will you get dogs who are like, you know, on the younger side who, who aren't, who don't have those pre those problems going into it? Or are you, are you getting some of the older dogs of someone saying, Hey, like I got a two, three, four year old dog. They're not doing this. Can you, can you help fix that? Are you getting kind of a mix of both or is it more on the, you're getting the one year old dog and you can kind of start them up from, um, not, uh, from the ground up? Not, not much of a mix anymore because we're just so busy and, okay. you know, we've fortunately we can really pick and choose mm. and, you know, it's, it's hard to get access to me you know, almost all communication is done through Christine and she filters because I'm just, I'm just too busy, sure. you know, helping the people that we work with. But, you know, we have a puppy program where we try to, you know, in, in you know, we'll talk more in detail later on on some of your notes I see here. But, sure. you know, briefly, we, you know, we have a puppy program where we try to get them going right away off on the right foot. Okay. Um, 
But, you know, as I said earlier, we do take some older dogs, you know, maybe not a quarter of the kennel, but, you know, some number like that where they're okay. a little bit older. Some of those older dogs are from experienced people that we know. So mm-hmm. we know there's a certain level. They're just trying to tweak something to, you know, to, to get a champion or win a national or something like that. or. Okay. Um, it's, as I said, something that interests me. Mm. So, <laughs> a new, um, a new challenge, a new project. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. Well, I'm, I'm really excited, Todd, to, uh, to kind of unpack the Spaniels more with you. Uh, again, if you've listened to my show for any, any amount of time or anyone has, um, we talk a lot of pointing breeds, a lot of, a lot of pointing dogs. Um, so the Spaniels are, are definitely intriguing to me. And so I'm excited to, uh, to unpack those more with you here. Uh, before we go any, any further, I want to kind of, uh, you know, get to know you a little bit more and, you know, talk to me a little bit about, you know, what's, what's some of the hunting or kind of hunting that you're doing uh, with your dogs these days or over the last few years? Um, are you, are you taking trips out West, East, like what kind of birds are you hunting? And, uh, and how was, how was last season for you? Um, every season's good, you know, cause it means I'm not working. So that's good. <laughs> it's, you know, it's a good time. Um, you know, I guided for a number of years, um, lots of different states across the country and different, different game birds. But, um, when we, when we stopped guiding for wild pheasants and I'm going to say 2010, something like that, uh, you know, Christine had had enough of that, enough of some of the risks that go into guiding people, um, <laughs> oh, I'm sure. you know, to be honest, if Christina never sees a pheasant again, she would be more than, <laughs> you know, than happy with that. Okay. Um, but you know, for me, I would go back and do more pheasant hunting, but, mm. uh, Christina does photography. And, you know, there's something about being in the woods in the fall and having grown up with, mm. you know, grouse and woodcock hunting uh, the past, boy, I don't know, eight, ten years now, it's been, you know, predominantly grouse and woodcock. And okay. so these days we've been going to Michigan. Uh, we went to Maine, you know, for years because obviously that's like going home for me. We've mm, done Wisconsin, sure. uh, Minnesota. Uh, but, you know, a couple of things that happen. Um, we probably would still be going to Maine except for COVID hit and they had, uh, you know, you know, uh, I forget what it was, a two week quarantine or something. Well, there was no chance I was packing everything up, going to Maine to sit in the cabin for two weeks. Oh gosh. You know, and of course we're in business, so it's not the same as if I wasn't in business, you know what I would have got, to be honest, I would have gone up there and just hunted all I wanted and not worried about (laughs) it. Sure. There's there's ways around it. Yeah. But you're in business, which means you're a target and you, you know, you got to be careful. So we ended up going to Michigan. We got some clients up there that bought dogs and so forth. So we talked to them. We went to Michigan. I'd never been before. And it's, you know, truly it's one, it's wonderful. I, you know, I don't find the bird numbers to be the same as they were in Maine, certainly not the same as, you know, Wisconsin and Minnesota. Uh, but, you know, I'm not getting any younger. Our clientele's not getting any younger and, <laughs> and the, in the woods are fairly clean. Yeah. Meaning Maine is absolutely a commercial forest, a lot of deadfall and slash and, you know, it's really rough going. Um, where Michigan, the you know, it, it, it's, it's not, we're, in the, we're not up in the UP, which is closer to Maine type of hunting. Um, okay. But, you know, we're in the upper lower Michigan. And, and so, you know, the birds aren't as plentiful. However, 
our clientele can walk much easier through through mm. the woods as I can as well. And yeah. and there's enough birds. And and these days, well, to be honest, you know, we're hunting because you know, we're questing game and, and that's really what hunting is, you know, questing game. Um, but we're training, you know, we're going up there with our, mm. you know, with all of our dogs, whoever's in the kennel for training and so forth. Uh, but it's really about young dogs learning to quest mm. wild game. Uh, the older sure. dogs have been through it so many years, they're probably not going to become a better bird dog at this point. But yeah. the young dogs, it, it's really where we're separating, you know, who is worth continuing to work with um, versus a dog that, you know, it's a nice dog and someone that hunts, you know, a bunch of times, they're going to be very happy. But for a really diehard hunter or someone that's trying yeah. to win a national, maybe that's not the right dog. So it's a testing sure. you know, yeah, ground absolutely. for us. Absolutely. Absolutely. So. So, sounds like, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Sounds like it's it's not maybe not about bag limits. Really, it's really about developing those those bird dogs. Time with time out in the woods. Time with your clients. Uh, with, without a doubt, you know we're again in the full, I guess the the full circle deal. Um, you know we're old enough now. You know when you're a kid, you just want to kill, and uh, and it's about telling everybody what you got and so forth. And, hmm. and then, you know, things morph. And so, you know, I don't carry a gun that often. Um, you know, I would ideally like to, you know, if we could shoot one grouse in the bag for each of the young dogs over the course of the sure. season, uh, you know, that would be success. Right yeah. yeah. Because we're trying to shoot the right bird, you know, we're, you know, the dog produces it or did something where there's a connection there that, you know, this helps the dog put one and one, you know, together equal two, as opposed to mm -hmm. just snapshot. And you know how, how grouse is, they just, lots of times they just jump. Well, if I mm -hmm. shoot that, then, you know, that's fine for the bag, but there's really nothing that happened with the dog. Sure. Um, so, and, and we also, you know, we've got a bunch of dogs. So I think Michigan, the limit is four. To be honest, I never pay attention because it's, it's really, it doesn't <laughs> you're, matter. You're not getting close. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, but you know, with, with a truck full of dogs, you know, you have to shoot your limit every day, day after day after day, if it was about getting a bunch of birds for every dog. So, right. Yeah. I, I, a, um, we did do some pheasant. I'm sorry. We did do some pheasant hunting last year. We got a client out in okay. Iowa. So we went out to his farm and uh, we did some training before the national out there running on, on wild birds. And, and it okay. was, I mean, it was nice because we haven't been doing that, but, uh, but yeah, that's what we're doing lately. That's awesome. That sounds like a nice. Uh, I, I don't talk to a ton of uh, ton of guests that are kind of on the East Coast or, or Michigan, Wisconsin area. I probably should get more more grouse and woodcock uh, hunters on this on this podcast. Um, is there? I'm guessing there's a lot of public land, right? The forests are mainly public land. Is that correct? It, yeah, it's almost entirely on public ground. Okay. Um, so like, so you got like out east in yeah. So Wisconsin, Minnesota. Um, Michigan, you know, state forest, national forest, um, depend on the state, there's some commercial forest stuff. So if, a if an owner takes the commercial forest tax benefit, then they have to allow access for hunting and some states call it differently. Now, Maine is very unique. So Maine is one of the last states where if it's not posted, you can hunt it. Now that, okay doesn't doesn't mean you should right because mm -hmm. depending on where homes are and you know like any state when you're from away you, you, you know it's good to know some of the local acceptance and sure. so forth but sure. in maine um i forget what the number is now but there's very low number of 
landowners in Maine, and I'm going to say it's six or eight paper companies that mm. own, it might be six or seven million acres that wow. is wide open. And it's a tradition there. And it's changing people from away, buy ground and put up gates and those types of things. But sure. there's a long history of like the, the North Main Woods alone, I think is about 4 million acres or something like that. And once oh, wow. you go through the gate, I mean, there's camps up there. There's a history of them allowing people to build camps on that ground up there, oh. and they and they lease it for a hundred years, the ground or whatever it is. So, um, it's another thing about grouse and woodcock hunting is you don't have to knock on doors. Yeah, you got a lot you of know, options. You can, like you got four million you, acres to yep, to that's poke right. around that. Right. I mean, Jeez. Idaho. We we were in Idaho in the late two thousands, and we're in the the Clearwater. And what's the other one? The Nez Perce or whatever um, national forest there. It was like almost 5 million acres or something just in those two places alone. We never saw another bird hunter. You know, oh I mean, it's just, gosh. it's just mammoth. You would know that out, you know, being in Colorado, sure. just, you know, you go up to the flat tops or something. It's just endless. Right. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, and, and talking grouse and woodcock just for a second here. So as far as like forest goes, c- can you talk to me a little bit about, and you mentioned like deadfall, like old forest versus clean forest. Like do you, are you looking for more of the deadfall forest and, and why is that? Or can you, can you talk to me a little bit about the uh, conditions of, of the different forests? So like most wildlife, clear cuts help. Okay, so, you know, um, commercial forest is very beneficial to grouse and woodcock because it creates new fresh cover and, you know, lots of, you know, trees shooting up and buds and food and all those types of things. Um, Fire is good. So mature forest, which is a lot of the national forest these days, is not particularly strong, particularly out east because they're almost anti-cutting of any type, you know, out Uh, east. Um, But, you know, in Wisconsin – counties like price county is famous for grouse hunting up around park falls and so forth and the counties go in and have a whole cutting management program on all their property because it's a huge tourist draw to get their bird hunters to come in and so typically with grouse i think historically you know 10 or 12 year old growth seems to be something that people are looking for in aspen stands and you know i take a little bit different approach um you know, this is something that happened to me. So when I was a kid, you know, we grew up hunting grouse and woodcock. Well, in New England, there were all these old farms that the woodlands took back. There were all these abandoned farms. And so there were apple trees all through the middle of the woods and all, you know, and you read anything on grouse and woodcock, all these spiller and all these great stories. You know, it's just, it was very traditional. Well, when I got back in the grouse and woodcock, let's call it 2010 or something like that, I mean, we went out east, uh, you know, back home to Maine, and I knew nothing. I couldn't find a bird because the diseases and stuff that came through, and as the as the logging um, programs change, the forest wasn't anything like it was when I was a kid. Mm. Well, I didn't remember that. I just, you know, I didn't know. So um, these days, I, you know, I, I run into so many people that they hunt aspen and everything says, well, look for the aspen, look for the aspen. And I'm sure there are birds in there because a million people can't be wrong. But I got to tell you, <laughs> sure. we we stink in aspen. We just we just <laughs> don't find the bird numbers in, in, in aspen like everybody yeah. writes about, to be honest. I mean, sure. so we, we tend to find it more... Um, let's call it transitional cover between woodcock and grouse, where grouse don't necessarily like it 
particularly wet, um, but right where you know the damp ground is starting to go into some water spillway or something where woodcock would be where the ground is soft mm -hmm. right in that transition is where we seem to find more and more birds so um okay. you know a mixed forest i guess is probably what we're looking for more now. And, and some of that also could be that you know we're, we're training dogs and so when you go into sure. a, a young alder stand where you you know can't swing your gun and those types of things you know it's kind of a mono stand to me so i don't find it mm. particularly exciting to look at and who the heck wants to be up there when the snow comes and when the leaves are finally down so right, right. you know some of it could just be you know to be honest some of it could just be a function of when we're there and you know and those right, right. those types of things but uh you know later on you had you know you were going to ask the question about what advice and and so forth and you know every time we have people come up and you know to run their dogs and, and train with us in the woods. And we just tell them over and over again, the single greatest thing that you can do, I believe, is just go for it. Just <laughs> stop listening to everybody else. Just, just go for it. And if you observe, you'll find out. If you see birds, just pause. What are you in? What mm -hmm. trees are around? What berries are around? What ground, what's the ground cover like? What time of day is it? I mean, be a student. I think like, you know, people used to be and I, and I didn't grow up thinking I was a student at all I just this is what we did for recreation sure. so you just absorbed this knowledge well now people have to make an attempt to gain that knowledge it seems to be the norm so yeah. when you're in that environment um, just really observe what you know what is around you then go look for that stuff I mean I, I don't mm. think it's that complicated to be honest yeah, that's that's such good advice, Todd. Because yeah, it's and sometimes we're we can get caught up in oh oh my gosh we we saw a bird and then you keep going and you, you miss a moment or miss an opportunity to to look around and go okay this was the habitat they were in this is what time it was this you know just to learn because so, then your next hunt you go out your next time you're trying to find birds like you're gonna you learn something and now you can use that knowledge to to apply it really and so I think that's that's really really good advice. <laughs> And you can pass it on, right? Which I think is the important thing. So we have a a, a client down here in in Georgia. You know, young, a young kid. Um, you know, he's got a couple kids, and you know, he, he's busy and all that. But you know, he's new that he's new to all this. So um, he's a successful guy. So he has some flexibility. Well, he calls me, and he was going to be in. He had one day to hunt in Maine. Okay, so I don't know. What, I have no clue what he was doing up there, but he had one free day, so he was thinking <laughs> of going to this one section, and and he was going to call a guide, and so you know he just called me to see what I thought, and I said, well, you know, if you're willing to go to X location, I'll tell you a bunch of places, and he's like, well, you know, how do you know the birds will be there? I'm like, I I don't, I haven't been there in you know six years or whatever it is, but you know, grouse tend to live in a very small location their entire life. Uh, it's not like pheasants where if they get pushed off, they'll fly three quarters of a mile and live there forever mm -hmm. unless they're pushed off of that again. So, um, you know, I just gave him, I went, I went and got the map. And so we talked over the phone. I had him follow this dirt road, that dirt road. Okay, mark that spot on the map. He went up there and he found birds in all the places I told him, which, you mm -hmm. know, is interesting because grouse and woodcock hunting, shoot all you want. You are never going to decimate them because of overhunting. It's just not mm. going to happen because you can't <laughs> possibly, sh you know, find enough of them, shoot enough of them. It, it yeah. just that's that's it, tough. It's hard to work. I, 
Yeah, it it's hard, hard work. You're in you're in thick, you know, trees and forests and so that's I, I've never have not done it yet. I definitely want to, but it it seems like it's just a tough hunt. Very rewarding. Very yeah. rewarding. That's cool though. That's cool. What um what was maybe a, a standout moment for you this past season? What's what's maybe something I know you've been at this for you know quite a while, many, many years. Um, you know, what's something new that you're learning uh, you know, season after season with your dogs being out in the woods? Um I I'm amazed how much the woodcock continue to run and run more. So, hmm. you know, years ago when I was young and all the stories, you know, grouse would run. Um, and a lot of times there isn't much ground cover on the forest floor. So it was very easy for them to run and dogs had to take birds across a lot of bare ground. Um, and then they would flush when they felt threatened or they ran out of, you know, cover. Well, the woodcock tend to, you know, be known for holding tight and not flying very far. And, and I think that still applies. However, um, I'm amazed how much they are running. And so, um, you know, when you get an opportunity for a woodcock to be running where you can see it on the forest floor, now the dog may not see it, the dog's still trying to trail it, but you can see it running off. It, it's pretty remarkable to me. So I used to, if the dog starts to take a moving bird, hey, that's a grouse. Hmm. Well, these these days I'm not so sure anymore. Because <laughs> you're you're kind of like, running, I don't you know. know. Yeah, they're, you know, they're, they're running so much. Um, yeah. so I think that's, it, you know, an is that a change, deal, is that a cool. change with, uh, sorry, I cut you off. Was that is a change in the, some of the habitat on the ground of why maybe, or just, um, I, you know, I, I, I don't know. I'm guessing it's just evolution. Okay. Uh, you know, so, so woodcock nest on the ground. Okay. They have okay. their babies on the ground and, and so forth. So I guess it would stand to reason that, you know, they're at risk you know, more risk because they're on the ground. Mm. Um, so, may, you know, maybe it's just evolution. You know, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm not finding woodcock in necessarily different cover than I recall finding them in. So I don't, you know, I don't, to my simple eye, I don't see a change there. But they sure. definitely are, are running more. And what, what for me selfishly, what is great about that is that the Spaniel is becoming a better and better grouse and woodcock dog because mm. the Spaniel's, claim to fame is taking running pheasants they are uh, absolutely deadly at it it is it is what they do better than any other breed okay sure. so um so if running, the grouse, running woodcock, grouse or woodcock yeah it plays to their strength to be honest you know the pointing dogs which you know grouse and woodcock still is a pointing dog game you know clearly um but if they actually hold point and they don't self-relocate, which in my world is breaking. We just allow it because it helps us get birds. Um, but if they if if they don't self-relocate, you know, running bird just keeps running off, and you can't catch up to it because your point is wait until you get to it and you release sure. it, and you know, game just continues and continues. So unless you can pin the the bird in a little patch of cover or something, you're really at a at a disadvantage. So the more that these birds are going to be running, I think that plays to the to the spaniel strength so you know plus Absolutely. it's just you know if you hunt you know the adrenaline of when you know the dog's on game it's, it's oh yeah it's a different you know level. it's coming it's soon a lot of fun. that's right <laughs> boy i hope i'm ready i hope yeah, i'm ready. right <laughs> <laughs> that's that's why pheasants and pointing dogs and pheasants are are, are uh, love love hate relationship <laughs> yeah absolutely. you know we get those running absolutely. roosters and that's so tough <laughs> that's so tough 
Oh man. Well, let's uh, let's transition to the talking a little bit more about the about these spaniels. Um, again, it sounds like primarily you're are you, are you running uh, English cockers and springers primarily, or yes, are you sir. working, or do yes, you have sir. any other breeds? Um, and, uh, right now, nope, not nothing else in the kennel. I mean, we've we've had most of the spaniel breeds in the past. Um, well, you know, we have a client that she's got her first Springer, but she's been doing Welsh well Springer Spaniels for, I don't know, 30, 40 years or whatever. So, you know, we help her with her Welsh. And we've um, put some titles on some field Spaniels and uh, we've helped. Same thing with Clumbers and a uh, couple, couple uh, American Cockers. Uh, as okay. well, but okay. but predominantly these days, it's just uh, you know to be honest, Will, we're you know we're at a high level and we command high level pricing, and um, you know there are no field trials for any of the spaniels other than Springers and Cockers, and oh, okay. so you so know, only Springers and Cockers you, can run in the trials yeah, that you're running. Okay, correct. American Cockers can run as well. But we don't see very many of them anymore. Um, so, with that being said, these other breeds are left with hunt tests, and you know, without being pompous, you know, the standard for hunt test is different than the spaniel for trying to win a or the standard for trying to win a national. So, um, okay. the reality is, a lot of people don't need us. You know, so okay. if they if they have those minor breeds and they like those minor breeds, I. Just, we live in America. You like chocolate, get chocolate. I, I mean, I think that's wonderful. But sure. you know, we're pretty adamant. You know, when people call us, um, it, you know, trying to feel them out because if they don't need us, I'm going to send them on their way because it's just it's going to be a bad sure. fit. You know, to be honest. Right. Right. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I'd love to kind of unpack maybe a little bit more of, of both the the Cocker and the the Springer. Um, the the Springer, I definitely have not talked about a lot on this show. Um, would you mind kind of just giving, giving me a little overview of, of what kind of dog the Springer is? What do they excel in? Um, you know, just cover some things like temperament, training. Um, I mean, if you have any sure. personal history of, of the Springer, um, would love to kind of hear more about them. So... You know, it's a medium-sized dog. Um, I think historically, you know, it, it, common thought is it originated in, in Spain and, you know, then came over the UK and so forth. Uh, and it's like most of the breeds. It's a mixture of lots of different breeds. And uh, But in the end, um, they, uh, they were originally used to spring game to a net. Okay, so the, hmm. the hunter-gatherers would use a net and the springer would go in there and we say flush, but essentially try to put the birds to wing to get caught in the net. And, you know, so back in the day, they clearly went in the game fairly slow, right? Cautiously, more like nature, to be honest. If you ever watch a coyote actually hunt, it's a lot of pouncing and pausing and so forth. Um, well, then over time, uh, things morphed into um, clearly not modern day springers, but um, there was a time where in the same litter you'd have springers and cockers and they would get registered one to the other based on size. So then, you know, the cocker kept going this way and the springers went that way. And so, you know, you had these clearly distinct breeds. Um, they came over to the States. There was a guy, Talbot Radcliffe, um, from the UK that saw the U.S. trials because the trials in the U.K. are a fair bit different than they are here. 
and yeah. he he's figured out you know what i can make a dog that they need in the states he was a business guy and uh so he, for a long time he created these springers his kennel was satan kennels and they just dominated in the u.s i mean just absolutely mm. cleaned up in, in the u.s and what he did is he gave some leg to the springers and you know i think it's common knowledge that he did some breathing with setters and so forth and uh back in that day you could do that and then register him as purebred so many generations later i don't recall hmm. the exact you know specifics on that um so he he got a and, bigger and re- real quick sorry real quick todd <laughs> were there already springers over here or no there were there other were, trials yes, that, there were okay so then he brought kind there, of the, there, his there, line there yes Okay. Yep. Okay. yep. So the a lot of the dogs from the UK were here, but they tend to be shorter legged, a little bulkier. Um, he really added, you know, speed and size and, and, and a a slimmer built dog um, that that could do that. And part of the reason here is that we have more, you know, we have rough shooting here, and the UK they really don't. In the UK okay. it's for the wealthy, and it's all about you know. I call it a deer drive where they're just driving birds to the okay. gunners to shoot sure. them when they come out of the woodland. Okay. Um, but, uh, you know, so he, he did that and, you know, that was, well, he won the English championship, I think in 1950. So it was after that, right up, you know, probably the heyday into the seventies and eighties, I guess. And so most of our dogs go back to something involved with him you know however far back um but you know the they've gotten bigger clearly a little big for me to be honest there's a lot of males running that are you know 50 pounds and i think that's big for a spaniel myself um you know our but but his goal his goal when he was doing some remind me his name again talbot radcliffe Talbert Radcliffe, was he trying to make, you were saying he'd make the dogs a little slimmer, a little more agile? Is that right? Yes. Okay. Give them okay, more legs then, so they could cover okay. cover more ground. Okay. But okay. do you think and that's going think, the opposite way now? Well, I think that um, after him, we've added bulk to those frames. And okay. so now we're getting 50, 50 pound dogs where, you know, our males tend to be close to the 40, 42 pounds. Gotcha. But, you know, it, I would say the average male in the field trial circuit these days is upper 40s now, gotcha. um, which, you know, I think they're becoming more like setters, <laughs> you know, uh, not pointing like a setter, <laughs> yeah. obviously, but, but size, you know, sure. size wise. So, um, okay. you know, the old timers had a saying that um, well, they, they had a couple of things <laughs> because Springers and Cockers have been linked for so long. Um, they said that you took your Springer hunting and you went hunting with your Cocker. Hmm. And then the other thing they would say is that Springers are great soldiers and the, all, every Cocker wants to be a general. And so that gets to the temper, <laughs> the, the temperament of the two is, okay. you know, the Springer, um, I believe the Springer tends to have a more level personality, um, can go to work on a daily basis and take, you know, repetition, um, not to the level of a, of a lab, but it can take repetition to a level much better than the cocker because the cockers all have an opinion. They all think they're in charge. And so the cockers 
can be a little independent. Okay. Mm. So right now with all the cocker craze going on, you know, the, the soup du jour or dog of the month or whatever, and particularly yeah. down here in the, you know, in the Southeast is cocker, 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 and they're mm. replacing the lab on, on all things. Um, the cocker is a very difficult dog to train, you know, at a really? high level. Okay. Uh, yeah, they're very manipulative. Um, of course they're cute as a button and they always are having fun. So they make you laugh, you know, every day. <laughs> uh, well, Trust me, they use that to their advantage. <laughs> so <laughs> they're going to get what they want. <laughs> uh, they are. So I, you know, I even though everybody loves them, I think for new people, it is just not a good dog. To mm. be honest, I, you know, I, I think a more experienced person is better with them. Uh, now, if you're going to let the dog do whatever it wants, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's if it's just going to be mm. like a normal pet that runs the household. Yeah, probably really doesn't matter. But if you're trying to, you know, train to a high level, um, mm-hmm. I think it does matter. So I think experienced w- people would you, are better with it. Would you would you then say uh, let's let's just take an average hunter, maybe fairly new? Would you then point them to maybe towards more of the Springer then for trainability reasons or without a doubt, without okay. a doubt. If they if they said I want a spaniel, I think mm-hmm. there should be no consideration after a springer I, okay. I, I really do because you know somebody new you know i make mistakes every day the odds are that i've made it before or i'm reading a situation and can get myself out of it you know sure. when we're new we make mistakes but we, we don't even know we made the mistake well the springer <laughs> right, is right. just going to be you know you just you don't know like you don't know what questions to ask sure. um but the springer is going to be more forgiven cockers uh-huh. will hold a grudge they definitely will hold a grudge <laughs> Um, sure. So, I, yeah, that's my opinion. And we do both of them. Yeah, we run, no, it's, we run it's both in trials. I know a right. lot of cocker people that I really respect, uh, but I just think they're different. Yeah, absolutely. Talk, talk a little bit about, um, so, so with a Springer, and maybe it's completing into the cocker too, is there a... Um, with like the sh- the is there a show line and then there's like the feel, feel bread Springers? It has is actually a wrap of part one of the conversation with todd agnew from spaniel journal we're going to break this up into a part two episode coming in just a couple days uh, we unpack actually a lot more um i didn't love making it a two-hour episode so broke it up into two parts um just kind of decided that so you get to look forward to another one dropping here in just a couple days as we finish up our conversation uh unpacking springers cockers field trials, and uh, really just the bird dog world, and a whole lot more. So make sure you stay tuned. You're subscribed to the podcast. Make sure you share this episode if you enjoyed it. And as always, if you can take a quick minute, go leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Would greatly, greatly appreciate that. Uh, It would really help the show get out there and keep growing uh, like it has. So, hey, make sure to get signed up at patreon.com for the Gunner Kennels fan kit giveaway. And uh, we'll talk to you very soon. Go put some miles on those boots and follow your favorite bird dog. Take care.